Hey guys, quickly before we get into today's episode, we want to tell you that on the Woj Pod, you get the inside scoop on all the biggest NBA news from the biggest names in the game as they join Adrian Wojnarowski, in-depth conversations, breaking news reactions, and analysis and coverage of the biggest events on the NBA calendar. That's the Woj Pod. Listen wherever you get your podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of DC and RC. I'm Daniel Cormier. That is my man, Super Bowl champion Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark, last weekend we had tremendous fights. We're going to talk about that on the show. But we also list our top five barbecue cities in the country. And trust <laughs> me, my number one is easily the best. And we always got to tap in and tap out. Yes. Are you listening or are you listing or am I listing? Because I think anytime we go to food, especially barbecue, bro, I'm going to have to lean a little bit to your expertise, expertise, especially how I see these suits fitting a little bit lately. Hey, bro, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The suit fit perfectly. It was cut <laughs> tailor for 240 pound Daniel. So I'm about 20 pounds heavier than I need to be for that suit. But it still goes on. It just doesn't button in the front. But who buttons their suit jacket anymore anyway? So what does it really matter? But Ryan, listen to me. Dog, Brendan Fitzgerald tried to talk about barbecue on Saturday. And this mm. dude's a vegetarian. I jumped all on his. I jumped on him. I had to get him. You can't talk about barbecue if you're a vegetarian, my friend. Hey, listen. We're going to get to that later, bro. But I don't know. It's something in the young UFC waters that has people really trying, my dog. Like, D.C., I'm talking about we got Phil in the octagon after the fight. <laughs> and then Sean O'Malley comes on our show, addresses you, but he also addressed it on his very own podcast. Let's listen to a little bit of what he had to say post-D.C. and R.C. Uh, did the R.C.D.C., D.C.R.C. interview with uh, the boys the other day. You liked it? You said it was funny? That was one of your better interviews, I think. I think it was good to have that conversation with D.C. just to hear it out and like talk talk yeah. person to person about it yeah um i think dc and i we get along yeah but it is what it is he had nice words to say to you i, I mean, think obviously he truly still think deep down he wants to see me lose <laughs> for whatever it is and i, I mean i already said it because i reminded him of john jones because i'm six six but you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go against that i think I, well you never know people play a part on tv but i think he likes you i think he does and he could have been pulling my f chain but he then you got me good dc dc wants to see me lose it's but, okay i'm not mad about it like i'd get it i would want to see me lose too you know what i mean you know what's so <laughs> crazy man and 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 young dudes young cats are always thinking that old heads are hating what happens though when somebody's as, as accomplished as a daniel cormier you've lived your life you walk away from the octagon knowing you left it all out there you wishing for someone to lose it's not a thing that you're going to do because it does nothing for your life. What he eats does not make you crap. And so when you hear something like DC, like that, DC, and him saying you, he, you want him to lose, he's talking about John Jones. What does that make you feel? It doesn't really make me feel anything because the reality is, like you said, Ryan, my accomplishments are all my own. Like, yeah. I don't care enough about Sean O'Malley to care if he wins or loses because, like you said, it doesn't really affect me. I mm -hmm. like the kid. I think the kid's a fantastic little fighter. I think he's tough. But the reality is I got eight championship belts at home. I got eight championship belts at home, Ryan Clark. Like, it's it's crazy when we mistake popularity for 
putting you on the level with someone else. The reality is I don't care if Sean wins or if he loses. I don't want to see a man lose. I think that he's good for the sport. I think him winning does things for the sport. So I just think that, but I do believe that he uses this to serve as a bit of motivation, right? Everybody always goes, you need haters in order to propel you forward. So I think he's trying to make me that. But the reality is I don't really care all that much because, again, I have so many championships at home. When guys, the guys that should address me in that manner are the guys that have stood alongside me, that have done the things that I have done in the game, and that will be remembered forever because until Sean O'Malley starts to win some championships and uh, get all the way to the top of the game, bro, like popularity fades, right? Legacy lasts, and my legacy will stay, will stand the test of time. So, Sean, I don't dislike you. I do not want to see you lose because, frankly, I don't really care all that much. I do think you're good for the sport, and I actually like you. I'm actually trying to make make this work for as much as I need to when, in reality, I really don't need to. So, yeah, I I don't care if the kid loses or wins. I I really don't. I, I think the great point you made, though, DC, is that fame doesn't necessarily equal accomplishments. And I think that's where it is. And what also happens in in any sport, when you look at the guys who are Super Bowl champions, when you think about guys like the Ed Reeds, the Troy Palomalus, they aren't Mm -hmm. saying negative things about one another because when you've reached that height, you understand that there's a mutual respect for the people that have gone through the things that you have gone through and had those same type of accomplishments. And so that's a wash we know what you what you stand for. We know the way that you analyze the sport, give your opinion, also yeah. support all the fighters. And that's a dead, that's a dead topic to me moving forward. But what's yep. not a dead topic, DC, is that Dana White was making it rain after the fight <laughs> night in Austin, bro. He gave out the most bonuses he's given out for a fight night. And it absolutely delivered. Father's Day weekend for me was a mm. gift. Yes. Did I have a great day on Sunday? Absolutely. The wife took care of me. My daughter took care of me. The kids <laughs> FaceTimed and called that are away. But Saturday night, the USC gave us the gift. What was it like in Austin, bro? Had to be electric. You know, Ryan, it was crazy because this is a brand new arena. This arena in Austin isn't even completely finished. This is like the third event to ever happen in that new arena. I mean, the facilities at the University of Texas RC is absolutely insane. And this 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 stadium or this this building is next level because of the way that all the fans are kind of looking down on the octagon. It does not seem like there is a bad seat in the house. And on Saturday, right. you needed to be able to see everything because the action inside of the octagon was insanity from start to finish, from the first fight of the night all the way to the end. The fights just delivered. Now, Dana gave out a ton of bonuses last weekend, but he also gave out a ton of bonuses in Singapore because the last couple weeks of fights, and I've been lucky enough to be there, cage side was, I mean, I haven't really experienced that energy for a long time. Even though we've seen big fights, the last time I felt like the place was going to fly off the ground with us in it was when Amanda Nunes was losing to Juliana Pena. But Mm. it, it just... It's just been tremendous. And I remember walking up to Dana before I went to interview. Uh, it was the big Brazilian kid. His name is Megatron, our, our, our RoboCop. He had knocked yep. out Julian Marquez. Crazy. I walked over to the boss, and I go, good luck trying to figure out who gets these bonuses. He goes, it's a fantastic problem to have. And then I walked up to the octagon and then found out later that he had given 
everybody bonuses. It was uh it was fantastic. And honestly, it was capped off by a fight between Josh Emmett and Calvin Cater that was as good as advertised, even though at times it seemed as though it was gonna be difficult to decipher who had won mm. the fight. When you were done, who did you think won the fight between Emmett and Cater? Man, listen, the, the the fight was was so close, DC, and it was back and forth, and it was it was different levels of damage between each fighter. And then there were there were times where it looked like Calvin was able to control the fight with his jab and move away, but also Josh was continuing to press, continuing to move forward the entire fight. To me, it was one of those things where I had Calvin Cater winning the fight three rounds to two, but it also was one of those deals, DC, where I wasn't upset when they announced the yeah. winner. You know, and, and now you get Josh coming after the fight, and while you're talking to him, he's now calling for a title shot because when you look at this weight division, there's been so much, so many matchups amongst the top four or five that Josh would be that new blood, like he said. When you looked at the fight, DC, did you have Calvin winning um, or did you have Josh? You know, the only issue for me was, and if could, could you flash those scorecards one more time? The fourth round, uh, judges scored that round for Josh Emmett. That mm. was the determining round. I don't think Josh Emmett won the fourth round. That one judge, uh, I don't know, I can't see it. Chris Lee. Chris Lee gave round four for Josh Emmett. If he did not, that would be Calvin Cater's fight. That is the only round in which I cannot understand how they scored it in the opposite direction. But like you said, I wasn't up in arms at the end of the fight, but to score that fourth round for Emmett, because Emmett's best round of the fight was the third. He fought right. beautifully. But Calvin, I thought the fourth round was his best fight. I thought the fifth round was much more competitive than round number four. But Chris Lee scored round four for Josh. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was a tremendous fight, and I don't feel... Like, I'm mad that Josh Emmett won the fight. But if I'm Calvin Cater and I'm Calvin Cater's team, I can really be disappointed in the way that it was judged mm -hmm. at the end of the fight. Because round four and five, dude, he completely controlled those rounds with yep. a beautiful jab. And he yep. dictated all of the engagements. That's kind of why I was leaning towards him when they went to the judges' scorecards. Because I thought four and five went to Cater. You know, that that's the hard thing about fights like these, though, though DC, when the, the damage of the jab isn't necessarily the thing of beauty or really weighed the same way it's weighed in boxing, right? Like, we got to see Devin Haney unify all of the championships using his jab the entire fight in boxing a couple of weeks ago, where that was kind of <laughs> the same thing that Calvin did in the last two rounds, but it didn't seem, especially in the fourth, that all the judges yeah. saw it as dominant as maybe the people from the outside watching the fight, the fight did. And so it was just kind of one of those tricky situations. But now we hear Josh Emmett call for a title RC fight, second. DC, RC and basically second, saying, look, we've seen RC, all these RC. guys battle and my fight brother. before. Do you think he deserves the next shot at the title in 145? My brother, listen, yes. But before I go there, you know how you said before when you were training during football season, you would train mixed martial arts? The first punch we teach you is a jab, right? The first punch you learned was how to throw a jab and how to throw it effectively. Ryan, in mixed martial arts, my brother, I don't know how. I don't know how, but they do not score a jab as a significant strike, bro. 
Can you believe right. that? They don't score a jab as a significant strike when in reality, the judge, the jab is the avenue to which everything else comes off of. Nothing really happens in fighting if you don't set it up with the jab. I have seen guys go down with jabs. They count significant strikes, RC, as everything outside of a jab. Mm-hmm. That is absurd that that is right. the language by which they are judging these fights or they are counting significant strikes. I get in trouble for this constantly because I'm on the guys that do the significant strikes. and the, It's not called copy boxing MMA, but I'm on these people about the takedowns, about the strikes. And I'm like, you guys are out of your mind if you think that a jab is not significant because I've been in there. And the moment I get hit with a jab initially, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this might be a long night. You know what I'm saying? You know right away if dude hits you with a solid jab, you win for it. So start to count these jabs as significant people. Please, they absolutely matter. Does Josh Emmett deserve a title fight? Yes, if you're trying to mix it up. Because we mm-hmm. are now seeing Max Holloway fight of Alexander Volkanovsky for a third time, even though one guy has won both fights. But then when you look at Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez, we have seen Brian Ortega get beat by the champion Volkanovsky. We have seen Rodriguez get beat by Holloway. So maybe if Yair wins... No, you can't. You got to go Josh Emmett because Emmett has a long win streak. Yair is coming off of a loss to Max. And even if he beats Ortega, how do you put him ahead of Josh Emmett? So, yes, it is now time for Josh Emmett to get what is so rightfully his. And that's a shot at the winner of Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky. You know, and I think that's the that's the thing that that that, that can really differ about the UFC. It doesn't necessarily have to be the number one contender. There's no there's no organization demanding that a Volkanovski or a Holloway fights the number one contender in the pound for pound rankings. And I think that's kind of the beauty of of what the UFC is. But we also saw Alexander Volkanovski fight the number four ranked fighter in the Korean zombie uh a few months back and it was a dominant outing by the champion. And so I think sometimes when we start pushing for these new names, you can get some fights that are less competitive than if you would use the number one contender. But another guy who who had a great fight this weekend was Kevin Holland, and he finished that fight with a submission. Kevin Holland is also like a superhero in these streets. Like, I don't know if dude <laughs> lives in Gotham, but nobody should be stopping this much criminal activity on their own, bro. And so when you look at <laughs> Kevin Holland now moving to a new weight class, seeming to be more physically uh, dominant in this weight class, do you think he has a chance to contend, DC? Well, he has potential, right? He said he did some. He said he did some shrooms last week, and in his <laughs> dreams, he realized he was going to be the champion. And he said, "When you do that, I guess it tells you the future." Kevin Holland is out of his mind. Kevin Holland. Stopping all the crimes? Hey, Joaquin Buckley thinks it's set up. Joaquin Buckley said that he thinks Kevin Holland is setting this up because there's no way he sees so much of that. But Kevin Holland also made a post yesterday holding Joaquin Buckley in his arms as his son, saying, I'm surprised my son didn't tell me happy Father's Day because Kevin (laughs) Holland knocked him out. So those brothers going at each other back and forth. But the reality is Kevin Holland is now at 170, not at 185 anymore. And that Mm -hmm. 170... Some of the biggest issues he had, Ryan, was the big wrestler taking him down, holding him down, him not being able to escape and get away from them in order to use the skills that he has and that he is so good at. He's a good striker. 
He's very fast. And he actually is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But when you get those big wrestlers on top of you and they're heavy, they smash you. They smash you and they just hold Holland down. Now at 170, the size isn't so much of a factor. He was always a bit of a tweener, Ryan. Like, if there was 175, it felt like that would be his optimal weight class. But he made it all the way down to 170, and now he's physically bigger, and he beat Tim Means, a Tim Means who was on a long win streak himself. So I think that Kevin has reinvigorated himself, reinvented himself, and he has really put a shot in the arm to his career by going down the welterweight and doing the things that we have seen him do since going down to 170. You know what's so crazy, DC? Like, you, you don't really have this comp in football where guys can, you know, go to a different league or go to a different place where the competition mm -hmm. is, a, is, is a little bit less. But it is about change of scenery. And it, and it seems like a change of scenery for Kevin Holland has really worked. Like you said, it's reinvigorated him. But I also think he feels like, okay, now I have an opportunity to compete. I'm not getting laid on. I'm not getting weighed on mm -hmm. the entire fight. And now I can show some of the excellent skills I have on my feet. And also we saw on the mat this weekend, I think one of the more disappointing things that we saw uh, this weekend was Cowboy Cerrone's, what we assume will be his last fight being canceled again. Mm -hmm. Obviously the first time um, in Phoenix, uh, Donald Cerrone, uh, he, he took sick the night before and he wasn't able to fight this this week, uh, this weekend, uh, past weekend, it was Lazone. He wasn't able to fight DC. And I think it's it's one of those things when you see Cowboy walk in in, in, in his outfit and his kids are, <laughs> are dressed in the same way. The energy I believe he was going to be able to bring in Austin probably would have been unmatched. Now with this fight being canceled for the second time, who do you want to see Cowboy Cerrone fight? How quickly and how quickly do you think it needs to happen? You know, honestly, for Donald Cerrone, it needs to be this same type of matchup because the days in which Cowboy's fighting the best in the weight, they're over. Like, he needs to be fighting guys like Joe Lozon, guys that are a little bit older, guys who have been in the game for a really long time. If I'm Donald Cerrone, I'm looking for a longtime veteran. Don't put me in there with one of those killers, right? Because we have seen that. Like, think about this. We saw Eddie Wineland last weekend retire. Yep. Eddie Wineland has been in the fight game since 2003, former WEC champion. He fought Cody Stamen in what is going to be his last fight. Look at what happened to him. I think mm -hmm. we got to find the right guy for Cowboy to fight. I think Lozon is that guy. Very rarely do I disagree with what Dana says about the direction. This is one in which I disagree a little bit. I say match these two up until eventually they fight. And then right. you know what Lausanne has next. You know what Lausanne has left. And you also know, like, what Cowboy has left. Because Cowboy is, is saying potentially last fight. But right. he's not saying it as a definitive. Right? So if he goes out there and he gets starched by Joe Lausanne, a guy that's been in the game for a while, a guy that when he was riding at the top of the weight, was always right around the 10-15 range when Cowboy was right around 3, 4, 5. Mm -hmm. If he can't get past that guy anymore, guy around the same age as him, now you know what direction to go with Donald Cerrone in terms of guiding him into retirement. But if you put him in there with one of those young killers again and he loses, you still don't learn anything. So I think right. that you keep matching these dudes up until it's time until they eventually fight. Uh, 155 is a hard weight cut for Cowboy. So I understand it's going to take some time for him to do it again. But I think 
do those two dudes again, especially when Lozon twisted his knee putting on his socks. Like, right. it, was so, it was a freak thing that ultimately cost him. Well, listen, you know, that was a fight we've been trying to see uh, the last couple or the last few events, and it wasn't able to be made. But let's think about some of the what-if fights. You know, we've had the, the Khabib, Tony Ferguson, um, Perez, Snell. Like, there have been all of these fights that we have been trying to set up or get scheduled that haven't happened. DC, put your matchmaker hat on again. Grab your pencil. Grab your paper. What do you think are the top five what if fights? This is and this is you making them too, DC. It can okay, be fights so, that were scheduled to happen, yes. or fights you would have wanted to see. Thank, thank you, Ryan, for clarifying that because I didn't know if they were supposed to be fights that had been mixed. Okay, so at number five, two fighters that I wish would have fought very long time ago. I wish they would have had an opportunity to compete against each other. Habib and Tony Ferguson. Obviously, those two fighters are guys that we wanted to see fight especially for a championship. My fourth most uh, wanted fight would have honestly been, remember when Jose Aldo was the champion at 145 and Dominic Cruz was the champion at 135? So many people wanted to watch those two guys go at each other. Hell, we could even go Frankie Edgar at 55 versus Jose Aldo at 45. Those were the days in which guys weren't willing to go up weight classes to challenge. So I would say Jose Aldo in a mixture between fighting Cruz at 45 or fighting Frankie Edgar when he was the champ at 55. At number three, you know who I would have really loved to see fight? Cain Velasquez versus John Jones. I think that mm. would have been a fun fight. I think for all the skills that Velasquez had and for all the skills that Jones possesses, it would have been fantastic to watch those two compete when they were both in their prime. Sorry, put that at number two, Ryan. At number okay. three... I'm going to do Zabit versus Yair. Because you remember when Zabit was rocking and rolling? Yep. I, I can't even say his last name. Magomed Sharipov. I don't even say his last name. But <laughs> with his diversity and the way that he attacks and the way Yair is so free, could you imagine the spinning stuff we would have got to see with those guys inside of the octagon in their heyday? That's number, number three. Number two, again, Velasquez Jones. Number one, greatest what-if fight that I've ever we missed out on. Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre yeah. in their heyday when they were both rocking and rolling, when they were both just reigning supreme atop their weight class. And there were so many questions as to whether or not GSP was willing to make the jump and take the chance. Silva, George St. Pierre, back around 2011, that would have been the fight that I want to see more than anyone. See, I put, see, these guys put Aldo versus Cruz. You might as well put another little sign next to it and put or Frankie Edgar when he was the champ. Aldo was so special, but that is my top five what-ifs. Silver GSP, Velasquez Jones, Zabit versus Jair, Frankie or Cruz versus uh, Jose, and then Khabib versus Tony Ferguson. And the only reason I got Khabib and Tony Ferguson so low, Ryan, because I tend to, but I tend to know even though most don't, what was going to happen in that fight? Right. Habib was going to smash him. So, okay, I'm going to go here. Like, you know, I can't do a list without Connor. My favorite, my, uh. my, my number, hey, my number, my number five fight would have been Connor McGregor, 
Tony Ferguson. And I know this was never a fight that was really talked okay. about. It was never a matchup that was supposed to happen. But we have to remember, when he was really the boogeyman, Tony Ferguson was this crazy enigma that people were trying to figure out. And Conor McGregor was kind of the same thing, except for we know he was going to come in with that big left hand and lay people down. And so I would have loved to see that fight. This fight... I, it's it's going to be weird to say, DC, but I would love to see Khabib Nurmagomedov and this Charles Oliveira. Not the old Dubronx. I'm talking about Khabib that we're talking about coaching tough against Tony Ferguson. Scratch that fight and put him in the octagon with Charles Oliveira now. That's a fight that I would sign up for, you would sign up for, except for I know what you'd be saying that week when we're doing the show, I'm not as excited <laughs> as everybody else because I already know how it's going to turn out. <laughs> at number three, listen, at number three, I'm going to go a little different direction than you went in with the John Jones fight. I would have liked mm -hmm. to see, and it could still happen, John Jones versus a healthy Francis Ngannou. And here was why. Mm. Francis Ngannou was and is this crazy power puncher that can just walk out, smash people. It doesn't necessarily have to look the most skilled. It doesn't have to look the most technically sound. And John Jones, who truly from a gift and skill standpoint, is one of the best we've ever seen. I wanted to see that if in that matchup, does skill, does the does fight intellect, does experience play a part when matched up against pure power? At number two, I would have loved to see Anderson Silver, George, George St. Pierre, just like DC wanted to see it. And at the top, and I know people are going to be like, oh, you're crazy. When John Jones was reigning supreme at light heavyweight and Anderson Silver was what he was at middleweight. And we used to watch Anderson Silver just dip his toe in the water a little bit, go up, smash somebody like Forrest Griffin, then come back down to his weight class. I would have loved to see those two monsters match up to see which one of the people that we have in the GOAT conversation or had before John Jones' troubles in the GOAT conversation find a way to get those guys matched up and see who would win. That's a great one. That's a great one. But I just tend to believe that Jones would have put it on Anderson a little bit. But that's a good That's a good list. I mean, but the reality is, though, RC, you really do show, like, your love for certain fighters. I mean, you got Anderson up there twice. You got McGregor on there. I mean, this dude, you got Jones on there twice. This boy, Ryan... Let, let me find out Ryan Clark, a, a closet John Jones fan. Let me, let me find out you a closet. Let me find out. Let me find DC. out you a closet John Jones fan, boy. I'm going to be honest, DC. The only reason my fandom has decreased is because our friendship has increased. And out of loyalty like for you, right I have to now have at least a little bit of dislike for John Jones. But you got to realize, man, as a fan, a guy outside getting to watch the sport, not necessarily have that personal connection. The dude did some things, man, and put on some fights that truly brought people to the sport. But look. I'm going to do a little cross-production here and pay some bills for us right quick. Okay, so let's go first. Guys, like we talk about every week, you know what it's about when it comes to sex? It's confidence. And you know DC's right. Sometimes it can be the anxiety, the stress, or a bad day. It can really affect the performance when you get to the bedroom, and it'll ruin it for both of you. Well, it's Bluetooth time, and Bluetooth to the rescue. Its unique online service delivers the same ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but... It's chewable, and it's at a fraction of the cost. The tablets help men combat all forms of ED because Blue Chew is an online prescription service. There are no visits to the doctor's office. 
You don't have to have those awkward conversations, and you don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. Also, it ships right to your door in a very discreet package because we don't need the UPS man knowing what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? The process is simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. You want to know what the best part is? It's all done online. Bluetooth licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. And if you don't like swallowing pills, you won't have any problems with Bluetooth because the tablets are chewable. The tablets are made in the U.S. and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Bluetooth free when you use the promo code DC at checkout. You pay $5 shipping. That's Bluetooth.com, promo code DC, to receive your first month free. That's my guy, DC, paying the bills and helping all men be a little bit stronger. DC, you know what? <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of strong men, bro, now we got some guys in the fight game right now in the UFC who don't have matchups. And when we see these guys in the octagon again, they may be turning to me and you to get some of these matches done. So I'm going to throw a name out there for you right now, and I want you to tell me who you would like to see this guy fight. And obviously, okay. since I get to throw the first name out, you know who I'm going with. I'm going no, with no. my guy, the notorious Conor McGregor. Who's right the here. best matchup for my dude? You know what, man? I, I said this a while back. Like, we did our, like, summer scramble. I think Conor should fight Nate Diaz. I think that that is the fight in which they should rap with. Conor versus Nate. Get that third fight done. Neither one of them have to go all the way back down to 155. They can fight at 170 if they so choose. Nate wants to fight. Conor's getting healthy. I think that's the fight that makes sense for Conor McGregor. Who I believe Conor McGregor is going to fight, though, is Michael Chandler. Because I think that the call-out that Chandler gave in the middle of the octagon last time was enough to make Conor get on alert and say... I beat this guy, I'm right back in the title contention. Because that is one thing you could never question about McGregor. His title aspirations don't change. So even if he loses, he never comes back looking for the easy path. He always tries to find the hardest guy to put himself back right in contention to try and become champion again. Well, you know what's crazy? Like the Nate, the Nate Diaz point almost swayed me, right? Because I was like, Nate... And Connor, they've had these epic battles. You know it's going to be pretty much stand up unless Nate is the Nathan is the guy that takes it to, to, to the ground. And so I get that. But for me, I do want to see the Michael Chandler fight because the one thing that Chandler has shown us is that he's not afraid to stand in the middle of the cage and absolute and absolutely just throw those things. Like he's okay with having a striking match. We did see him take Tony down near the end of the first round because Tony was kind of getting with him. But Michael Chandler has been one of the most exciting fighters in his four fights in the UFC. And I believe mm -hmm. that call out and understanding where he is in the weight class is what's going to make is what's going to intrigue Connor to know I can go have this fight. This is the dude that's been touched. I believe that if I touch him, he's not getting yep. back up. And so I think he's going to be easily swayed into that yep. fight as well. So I think that it's going to be the Conor McGregor-Michael Chandler matchup that we see. And I believe that's the one we need to see if Conor's ever going to get back into the championship contention conversation. I think, and also I think, honestly, if you're Team McGregor, watching Tony Ferguson hurt Michael yes. Chandler is just what you needed in order to go... We can really put this dude out, and because of Chandler's willingness to stand, maybe he gives Conor McGregor a chance to beat him. I do believe that'll happen. How about my man Hamzat Chemaev, Ryan? Who do you want to see Hamzat fight next? 
Hamzat Chemaev is waiting on the winner of Kamaru Usman, Leon wow. Edwards. And listen, and I, and I know I know this is crazy, but when you fast-tracked him to get an opportunity to fight a top-two contender in Gilbert, you said we are setting him up for an opportunity to fight for a championship. And here is why I wouldn't go with a guy like Kobe for this matchup. Because if Kobe beats Hamzat Chemaev, which he can because he's that level of fighter, and we saw it against Gilbert Burns, it wasn't a struggle, but it was a battle, right? It wasn't that invincibility we had seen against some of the lower tier fighters. You don't want to mess that up, right? Like sometimes you get tired of seeing the, the, the Patriots play the, the Indianapolis Colts, and you want to see new blood in there. And we've seen Kobe Covington, Kamaru Usman time and time again. So instead of watching that for the third time mm. or watching Kobe Covington contend for the championship against the Leon Edwards, allow Hamzat Chemaev to wait in the wings, get the winner of that fight, and now the work that you've done to pretty much fast-track him to this position for him to take the UFC by, by storm, you get that payoff in a championship fight before something crazy happens or really Kobe Covington just does what he's been doing in the UFC period and gets the win. Now it sets Hamzat back. Kobe Covington's the next contender again, and you're kind of running that same cycle. It makes a bit too much sense. I was going to say Kobe Covington, but that makes sense because the reality is Covington beats Hamzat. Kamaru Usman wins. What are you doing? You're looking at the same situation as we have as Featherweight, right? Yep. We have the same situation as we have with Holloway and Volkanovsky. Um, but I don't think Hamzad waits. I think with that fight card in Abu Dhabi, with the way that things are working out, I think Abu Dhabi is in October. Usman's fighting in, in August. So Usman will not turn around and fight again in October. So it'll take some time. What I believe Hamzad should do, because the UFC should push this, because the UFC needs him and Islam, those guys, to fight in Abu Dhabi, I think you put Hamzad versus Bilal Muhammad. Bilal Muhammad has a style that at times can be a bit less than entertaining. By putting him in there with a guy like Hamzat, it almost guarantees that he has to fight because he won't just take Hamzat down. And when he was forced to fight in the last fight against Vicente Luque, he showed new wrinkles to his game and showed why now Bilal Muhammad is a true contender at welterweight. So I think put him in there with Bilal Muhammad in Abu Dhabi uh, for that region, a guy like Hamzat is massive. Now, I mean, I think that that makes sense because, since because you're talking money, right? You're talking yep. the fight that people show up to see. And when you think of, of Hamzat fighting in Abu Dhabi and you've been there and I never have, you can see the difference when there's a fighter that they connect to, whether it be religion, yep. whether it be region, mm -hmm. as opposed to some of the other fights. So that makes total sense for me. But let's go to a guy like Jorge Masvidal. DC, who who now, after losing to Kamaru Usman twice, being knocked mm -hmm. out badly against Kamaru Usman in the second fight, and us seeing some of the other things happen, happen at welterweight, is waiting for a fight, but he's an exciting guy. He's a dude that brings money to the table anytime he steps into the octagon. Who should be his next fight? Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. 
Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Jorge Masvidal is going to find himself in a position now he's going to be fighting guys that have a little bit less name value than what he has fought before. Just very recently, and I don't know, maybe the producers can whisper this into my ear, he was arguing with somebody online, but he told them that they weren't worthy of the fight because they're not known. I'm not exactly sure who it was, but Masvidal was going back and forth with someone, and I believe that it has to be someone at that level. It's going to be a rising contender, a guy like a Sean Brady. Sean Brady. A guy, mm-hmm. a guy like those types of guys that are on their way up. Maybe a Kevin Holland. Right, who is now starting to make some waves at 170 pounds. He's going to have to start fighting guys that are on the way up. I just think that right now, because of uh, the the three losses in a row and the way in which he has lost, it's time for him to either rebuild by beating these young up-and-comers or uh, you start to uh, open the door for some of these young guys to break in to the top five. So, I'm saying a young guy. I'm saying a Kevin Holland. I'm saying a a Sean Brady, like one of those up-and-coming contenders that need an opportunity to stand across from one of the best in the world. You know what, DC? I think you hit it right on the head with Kevin Holland, and that was going to be and then that was going to be my pick. And, and, and here's the reason I want it. These are two guys who are highly entertaining, not only on fight night, but leading up to the fight, the type of rhetoric, rhetoric we could get, the, the trash talk between these two dudes, the excitement inside the octagon. And also it provides Jorge Masvidal with a guy who is not that 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 that, that massive fighter, right? It's not it's not the Kamaru Usman, it's not the the Kobe Covington. It's a guy that's going to give him an opportunity to get back in some of the the eyes of the fans or in the, even in the eyes of the UFC to get a little bit of that glow back that he's lost the last few fights. And so I think a Kevin Holland would be the perfect matchup for a guy like Jorge Masvidal. But another mm-hmm. dude who has been waiting on the fight, at least to me, seemingly forever, is Nathan Diaz. And when I look at Nathan Diaz, and I know you're going to disagree, DC, and you're probably going to say, no, I want my guy to fight somebody different. I think it's Dustin Poirier. I think Dustin mm. Poirier has now moved into that conversation of must-see TV whenever he steps into the octagon, whether it was the, the the trilogy with Conor McGregor or the way that he finished those last two fights. And now some of the things that we're even seeing about his personality away from the octagon, he's showing that he's one of those dudes. And Nathan Diaz, ever since he was in the tough house, has been a guy that is going to bring people to the arena. He's going to bring people to the pay-per-view. And I think a fight between these two men will be absolutely fireworks. I I think for Diaz, you know, I, I said it earlier with McGregor, and it's all the same reasons. I just think that it's time to put an end to their saga, right? I remember fight number one, where Conor McGregor actually went in there with Nathan on very short notice and Diaz submitted him. Then McGregor made the adjustments in order to win fight two. It's time for those guys to put a wrap on that trilogy, especially with some of the things that Diaz is saying here recently. UFC cut me. I don't want to be here anymore. Let me go do these other things. It would be a crime if Nathan Diaz left the UFC and him and Conor never truly put this thing to bed. I think that we have to have that fight, and I think it's the right fight for both of them with where they are in their career. Now, last one, RC, you kind of alluded to it, uh, Dustin Poirier. Like you said, he is that guy. He's one of them now. He's one of 
the guys that can draw. He's one of the guys that you put on the head of the marquee and people show up to watch the diamond. You said that you want to see him versus Diaz. I think that's a great fight. But for me, I think that Dustin Poirier should actually fight Gilbert Burns at 170 pounds. Now, those guys were talking about fighting a little bit. Burns was talking about fighting Poirier, saying that he would be down. I just think that it's time for Dustin to get another big fight, but also a bit of a refresh from fighting at 155 just because of the way that things are looking right now. He lost the title fight to Habib. He lost the title fight to Charles Oliveira. So it doesn't seem like any championship fights are in his near future. Go up to 170. Start anew and see if you can build a resume that could potentially earn you a title fight or pass enough time until a new champion is crowned at 155, and then you go back there with a resume at welterweight that allows for you to kind of cut the line and find yourself fighting for that belt again. You know what's so crazy? And, and this is this isn't necessarily the fight I would want for the fighter that I could match Dustin with when I start thinking about 170. And, and this might be the the fandom in me, DC. This might be the guy that that maybe doesn't know as much about the matchmaking as you do. <laughs> but if he's gonna go up to 170, and obviously Gilbert Burns is a guy that moved up to that weight class as well. But I think I would love to see him fight Jorge Masvidal as well. When you Ooh. look at the kind of, kind of the, the stylistic matchup, the fact that it's mm. going to be a striking mm. match, uh, this is a, good, a, a guy in Jorge Masvidal who isn't going to look to take Dustin Poirier down to the ground. That's the type of fight that we could see the striking that has Dana White basically sitting in talking about money. Money. Yeah, yeah. Like we back watching <laughs> Players Club where we're seeing some of the bonuses <laughs> he's giving out. you're out of your mind you're out of your mind completely but the reality is this I think those guys are teammates at American Top Team they're very close so it would be hard for us fun you know and I think that's part of it right a lot of us fall in love with the fantasy matchups and in those fantasy matchups it's teammates that's why so many wanted to watch me and Kane fight so many wanted to fight teammates because of that but that would be a fun fight but for me Dustin Poirier Gilbert Burns let me have it well, DC, you know what? I will always, I will never treat you like Philip Hawes. I will always speak to you <laughs> respectfully. And if you say it's supposed to be DP and Nathan Diaz, then that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> hey, now normally we like to talk about the fights. We want to talk about what happens with the men that make the money. But DC, every now and then, we'll stray away. And we have to stray because you were kind of food shaming Brendan Fitzgerald this weekend just because the man's a vegetarian. He can't talk yep barbecue let's listen to a little bit of what you had to say and man i'm glad you don't treat me like this as a co-host <laughs> a mouth-watering look inside of salt lick barbecue hey you're in austin texas ah, dc's hungry now stop stop you're it, a vegan it's brisket stop, in texas you're a vegetarian stop putting stop. labels on stop me. talking about barbecue stop putting you labels could never on do me. it justice <laughs> shut your mouth your dirty little vegetarian mouth you talking about mouth-watering Texas barbecue. That's a good point. Don't you dare. You're actually yeah, right about that. What are you doing, Fitz? <laughs> bro, you like that's that? hilarious. Hey, let's look at some of these tweets, bro. Uh, Eric Butcher, uh, 
to eat or not to eat? That is not the question when it's barbecue. Always be eating. Daniel Barbecue Shakespeare Cormier. Daniel <laughs> Cormier is to barbecue what Kevin Holland is to crime. Barbecue Batman, <laughs> UFC Austin. And nothing but absolutely brutal stoppage wins and a brutal blast to Brendan Fitz TV from DC MMA. That's my boy, Daniel Cormier, about Texas barbecue. Maybe the most insane shot of the show on a night that nine bonuses were given out. DC, why are you acting like that with my guy, Brendan, bro? This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Bro, this dude can't, this dude, he's disrespectful. He's actually very disrespectful because he over here talking about mouth-watering, Texas, barbecue. He, like, got this great TV voice where he don't even eat barbecue. How you going to talk about mouth-watering when you don't even know what it tastes like? So <laughs> when I start thinking about barbecue, okay. a few places really stand out to me. Ryan Clark, you hear that? You hear that? Yes, I heard it. Play heard my it. music. Play my music. I like that. Let me talk to you about some of the best barbecue that our beautiful land, the land of the free, has to offer. Back in 2007, I went to Hot Springs, Arkansas. We did a wrestling camp before the world championships, and I got barbecue there. And that memory has stayed with me since 2007. Hot Springs, Arkansas. Fantastic barbecue. The ribs. I mean, we were there with a guy that had so much money. He took us to the top shelf places and he showed us what Arkansas barbecue is about. Number two, Memphis. Or number four, sorry. Memphis, Tennessee. Dude, when King Mola Wall won the Strike Force Championship, I was there in Memphis and I got to spend a lot of time to, down that famous street that they have. And they have so many barbecue joints and the food was phenomenal. Love barbecue. Number three. Austin, Texas. Last weekend, I got some pretty good barbecue. And Ryan, but it's a tad bit salty because they used the dry rub. The dry rub, they may have put a little too much on it. It was a little bit salty. But I still put Austin, Texas in the running for best barbecue. <laughs> Number two, Kansas City, Missouri. The ribs there. Man, I have been to KC on a number of occasions. And the ribs are fantastic in Kansas City. I love the food. The sides don't match, though. I think the, the sides are as important as the barbecue. Yes. And none of these places have the sides. Let me tell you my number one barbecue place in the world. Lafayette, Louisiana. They don't <laughs> barbecue like we barbecue Ryan Clark. I grew up on the barbecue from Lafayette, Louisiana. And the sides match the rice dressing, the pork and beans, the macaroni mm. and cheese. Mm. And Ryan, let me tell you something. Mm. We also we also burn ours a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You, you got a little, a little bit crisp. of that crisp on the chicken. You got to have the crisp on the chicken. I grew <laughs> up on it. There is no barbecue like Lafayette barbecue. And I'm sitting here and everybody agrees with me. Lafayette, Louisiana barbecue is the best barbecue, Ryan Clark. And I know you can agree with that. DC, I'm going to say this. I can't disagree with your list. And I'm glad you didn't say something to me like, Ryan, you can't talk about it with your dirty little pescatarian mouth. 
Yeah, you don't need meat either. I mean, I, you don't barely eat meat either. So, like, you got to be careful. But the reality is this, though. I know that you have. I have. I know that you have. I have, but, but, yes. But, but, but the problem is, you're pescatarian now. But yes. you talk about me vegan shaming. You suit shame me all the time. I mean, you mad because I can't button my suit jacket. You suit <laughs> shame me all the time. Hey, DC, I absolutely do. But I tap in on your list, bro, because I know that Lafayette, they absolutely throw down. Whether it's seafood, it's the cookout, it's a barbecue, whatever it is. Folks that we know, they know how to cook. But we about to tap in and tap out right now. So, Corporate Jake, we need you to join the party. All right, guys, reports came last week that Aljamain Sterling will defend his title against TJ Gillishaw. However, Sterling said that there is no fight signed and still interested in the Cejudo fight. So, RC, tap in or tap out that Aljamain should wait to defend his title against Cejudo. You know what? I tap in on this. I tap in on this because Aljamain understands what that fight will do for him. Not only beating a Henry Cejudo, who was a two-division uh, a two a two division champ, but also Henry Cejudo, who is now wildly popular because of of his trolling, right? Because of the cringe. And if he and if he could get to Cejudo in a soon enough time, I would tap him on tap in on him waiting to fight Cejudo. And then if he wins, now you move on to TJ Dillashaw. You know, I think that fighters now have more of an understanding of what they want to do than they did they had prior. And mm-hmm. I believe that Aljamain Sterling does not want to fight Henry. Uh, sorry. T.J. Dillashaw for some of the reasons and the issues that T.J. has had outside of the octagon. But I'm going to tap out and say wait because if you fight Dillashaw, you have all that built in, all the trash talk, all the animosity. I truly believe that if he fights in August, he can still fight Cejudo by the end of the year if he gets past Dillashaw. But I do know that because he dislikes Dillashaw, because he has accused Dillashaw on numerous occasions publicly of being a cheater, he has the opportunity to go fix that. I tap right. out because I do want to see that fight because I love the mess. I love the storyline. And I do believe that if he wins, and why would you question it after what he did to Piotrion, right. he could fight Cejudo at the end of the year. Corporate Jake. Corporate Jake. Following his win against Glover, Yuri Prohaska felt it was time for a new look. He proceeded to cut off his samurai ponytail. DC, tap in or tap out on Yuri changing his, immediate, his look immediately after winning the title. I tap out. Yuri, we have got to be able to recognize you as who you are. When you made your <laughs> UFC debut, you had short hair. Then you grew the samurai hair. You grew the ponytail, and people started to pay attention. Don't change it now. You are now the champion. You are the warrior. You are the most. Com- you are the most like in tune with being a martial artist as we've seen for a long time. I mean, you got the you got the ponytail. You got the gi top. You look like a real-life samurai. Keep it, my friend. Why would you change that now? Ryan, I don't know why people do that. You don't change whenever it's starting to become recognizable. Well, for me, here's why I tap in, DC, because I've done this before. As I got up levels in my career, I would do different haircuts. I would go with the ball fade. I might go I with the like all even. I don't like I, it. I want I had you to go mohawk back to that at, flat top. I want I had you to mohawk. go back to the flat top. I want you to go back to the flat top. That was DC. your best haircut. Is DC, there a here's picture, what you guys, do- please flash it up on it. DC, here's what you're doing, though. You're talking like a man that can't grow hair. 
See, because I've been able to grow hair my oh. entire life, and I still can, I can move in and out of all of these different hairstyles. And so if Yuri wants to signify the evolution of man. Yuri Prohaska, it's an evolution, right? When I came in, I was one thing. When I was climbing the ladder, I was another. Now, as the champion, I am distinguished. I no longer have the ball fade ponytail samurai look. Mm. I like it. I'm with it. I tap in. Corporate Jake, what's up? This boy disrespectful, man. This Ryan Clark is disrespectful. He grew hair his whole life, and he can still grow it. This dude is disrespectful, man. I'm telling you, dog. This is crazy. You Don't acting like, like Jerry. You really acting like Phil Hawes right now. I'm telling you. All right, guys. As a guest on the Kurt Angle podcast, Ronda Rousey said that she would only return to the octagon for one individual, Gina Carano. She even said that she doesn't care what weight class. So, RC, tap in or tap out on a future fight between Ronda Rousey and Gina Carano. Um, I tap in to this fight. If it plays out on a movie, if this is not something that actually happens in the octagon, if they make a movie and these two have this incredible fight scene that we can choreograph and act out and practice, then I want to watch it. I don't tap in on either one of them coming back to mixed martial arts. I believe they've moved on. They've started other careers that they're doing excellent and great at. And I believe some memories are best left as memories. And let us remember them both fondly for what they were before the losses took them out of the fight game. <sighs> I tap in. I would watch Ronda and Gina Carano because guess what it means? Money, money, money. Yeah. They would bring yeah. so many people with them to watch. And honestly, it would be nostalgic. It, look, Ryan, I went to the Great Western Forum to watch Chuck Liddell fight Tito Ortiz in the fourth fight. They were, they were a shell of themselves, but the nostalgia drew me in. And I believe that they're both still young enough to be able to go out there and do a competitive fight, a fight that maybe they don't show that they're the best in the world, but I don't think that they would embarrass themselves by fighting each other in the octagon. So, yes, I tap in. On Ronda Rousey versus Gina Carano, I think it would be fantastic. All right, guys. Last week, the New well, Orleans Saints have revealed an alternate black oh, helmet that they will rock a few games yeah. in this coming season. DC, tap in or tap out on the Saints bringing back the black helmet? I tap all the way in, and that is the most – that's like, hey, that's like a beautiful woman walking down the street. That's fine. And you can't take your eyes off of her. That is a beautiful helmet. It is, it is slick. It is nicely designed. You got the fleur de lis running along the helmet top, yeah. the crown. You got the, the big fleur de lis on the side. They have my man Cam Jordan introduce it, bro. This is what no. we needed. It feels like a fresh, a fresh start uh, for a team that's trying to move into the future with the with, with Drew Brees and all those guys going. I felt like last year we were still kind of hanging on a little bit. Now we're on to something new. And this hat, this helmet, signifies that that move into the future. Yeah, I, I am with this. I tap all the way in on this. Listen, the black helmet is fire. It brings back the old days right before they started wearing the bags on their head. But when you have this type of style, this type of excitement, you'll see people buying these helmets and having these helmets in the stadiums, in the arenas for the New Orleans Saints. This is super fresh, super dope, signifies moving on from Sean Payton. Now you have Dennis Allen. You have Jameis Winston, not Drew Brees. Yep. This is a big-time move yep. by the New Orleans Saints. All right, guys, lastly, some breaking news here on DC and RC. Rob Gronkowski has officially announced his yes. retirement from football. So, RC, tap in or tap out that Gronk is the greatest tight end of all time? I, I tap in on Gronk being the greatest tight end I've ever seen. 
Um, I don't know if we're going to, you know, go count the Mike Ditka days or all of those days, the old Kellen Winslow. Rob Gronkowski was both the best blocking tight end and pass catching tight end at the same dang time. What he meant to the New England Patriots, Tom Brady and their run there, what he meant to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on their Super Bowl one run signifies who Rob Gronkowski is. And he did it his way. He did it in a way where he made you enjoy watching football. And in five years, we'll all be watching as he gives his speech in Canton, probably in a pair of shorts, his gold jackets and some high top all stars, because that's who Rob Gronkowski is. Um, you know what, guys? What Ryan said, because that's what he's, he's a pro at that. See, this is, <laughs> this is one of those times in which I can go exactly what Ryan yeah. said, because, dude, this is your lane. I know watching from a a, a, a amateur, from a, a fan's perspective, I yeah. knew I was watching something different, right? You yeah. didn't see tight ends make that impact all the time as Gronkowski did. So if you want to call him the greatest blocking and, and catching tight end at the same time, R.C., I 100% agree with you because that is where you are the man. Dude, your area expertise in football, that's why I call you every Sunday. I know you're busy. And I'm like, yo, how's this? How's this? How's this? Did I know where to find it? Yes, it's a farewell, Rob Kronkowski. absolutely. I know it's going to be fun for you. But, hey, I can't say, RC, that I'm not happy to see him leave because not to say, that's the cut, Ryan. That's the one I want you to go back to. And look at that. That's the one I want, RC, because that's the one where that Ryan Clark was a little bit more combative, too. Like, I used to watch you on first take. You were a little bit more combative whenever you had that haircut. Hey, DC, I'm a nicer, kinder, gentler man now, bro. Listen, hey, just because I'm not coming at you like Philip Hawes or Sugar Sean anymore, I like to come on here and have a good time with my dog, which we had again. Man, I can't, I listen, I can't explain how much more fun it is to not be combative. But, bro, pretty bro, soon we got you. It was the best. We got you going into the Hall of Fame. We had a great week of fights. You were excellent. As always, on the side of the octagon, another great show, another time I feel like we got better. Yeah, we got better, dog, every single time. And honestly, people are appreciating the show more and more. Ryan, I remember the first, that haircut, Ryan, I remember the first time you were brought on first take because you was going at somebody. I was like, that's my boy right there. I was like, my boy down there ready to get it in. I like the nicer, kinder Ryan Clark, but I do like angry black man Ryan Clark a little bit too. You know what I'm saying? He was fun. That dude was fun. But as you've aged, you've become more and more cultured, and I am so happy to have you on the show. You and I together every week has been one of my favorite things to do. Until next time, guys. Peace. Peace.